Well, I want to welcome you here. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those specifically who are joining us at our Ferndale campus and all those of you from around the world who are watching online as well. We're glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And a couple of really brief announcements as we get started. First of all, next weekend, Gary Thomas is going to be with us. Uh, this is actually Gary's home church, and Gary's going to be joining us. He's written Sacred Parenting, Pure Pleasure, Sacred Pathways, Sacred Marriage. Gary is one of those unique individuals who's not only a good writer, he's a great speaker. And we are so excited about having Gary here all of next weekend. I really hope you'll make it a high priority to be here. As well, over the coming weeks, we're getting ready to kind of ramp up towards Easter. Easter is the largest outreach that we do at Christ the King Community Church. Last year, we had more than 7,000 people pack in here to hear the amazing story that Jesus is alive. And there are so many opportunities for you to get involved if you'd like to. One of them is to join the choir. And the choir during Easter time is an amazing outreach tool because you get to invite people, just come and hear me sing during the weekend. And you use friendship in order to reach into people's lives. As well, we have hundreds of volunteer opportunities. Um, I love Easter. It's my favorite weekend of the whole year. And I just invite you to be a part of it. One of the greatest ways that you can be involved is simply to invite your friends and your family to come and share Easter with you here at Christ the King. We would love for you to come and join that and do that. We began this series with a question, and we're going to wrap it up nine weeks later the exact same way. The question has been all the way through the series, who or what gets the best of you? Last week, the flu got the best of me. I was down and out, laying at home in pain, feeling disgusting, praying that Jesus would take me home. I wanted him to very badly. I limped through the weekend, and then on Sunday afternoon, all I could think about was a warm blanket and a hockey game. That's all I wanted to be a part of. So I dragged myself home after the weekend. I watched the first period, and then I actually had to get up. I had to drag my sorry carcass back into the car and go and get my wife. Laurel had been in Saskatchewan for the weekend, celebrating her mom's 80th birthday, and I wanted to go and get her. My need for sleep was eclipsed by my need to go and get my wife, bring her home so I would have someone to whine and complain to. Because when I get the flu, I turn three. It's just like, you know, somebody help me. I'm dying here. Doesn't anybody care? And I needed Laurel to come and do that for me. I had a double-edged goal that afternoon. I wanted to get my wife and not hear the score in the hockey game because I was recording it. That's what I wanted to do. As soon as I arrived at the airport in Abbotsford, I knew it was not going to happen because plastered around one small 27-inch flat screen were about 400 ravenous, insane Canadians all of whom were fixated on that game. And before I even got into the airport, I'd heard the word overtime about 20 times. So much for my plan. I watched this group of dedicated people prepare to either have their dreams fulfilled or their hopes dashed. And as I watched them, an amazing scenario unwrapped in front of me. As the game prepared to go into overtime, the electronic doors to the left of the screen opened up, and into that room walked one lone guy wearing a hockey jersey 
from the USA. It got really quiet, really fast. He kind of smiled and then proceeded to seat his red, white, and blue right in the middle of a sea of just red and white. No one said anything, but you could hear what they were thinking. What is he doing here? There was this quiet antagonism settled over the room. There was an air of judgment and superiority. There was a sense of, how dare you in our place? I'll tell you what, man, I'll give the guy huge props for his pride and for his courage. That guy was an enemy territory and he could have allowed his fear to get the best of him but not that guy that guy was an american and he was proud and he didn't care what anybody thought it's just like this is my team you don't like it too bad i give the guy props you know and just so you know at the end of the game he made it out alive after the goal he even got a few mercy hugs on the way out the door well, this weekend, we're going to head to a dinner party where the same reception that awaited my USA brother awaited a woman. Jesus had been invited to a dinner party at a Pharisee's house. And I want to remind you that Jesus being at the Pharisee's house was a little bit like that guy from the U.S. being in the middle of a Canadian hockey crowd. Jesus and the Pharisees didn't see eye to eye on much because Jesus focused on the beauty of a relationship with God. The Pharisees were always stuck up on all of the legalistic rules of religion. And they didn't go together very well. Whenever Jesus and the Pharisees were around, there was tension. You could feel it and cut it with a knife. If you've got your outline here at the Bellingham campus or at the Ferndale campus as well, I'm going to read to you what happened that, at the dinner party. And I'm just going to ask you to follow a line. It's not going to be on the screens. So if you don't have an outline in front of you, just listen along as the story unfolds. Scripture says from Luke chapter 7. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Can you just feel the tension in the room? Can you hear the questions going back and forth? What's she doing here? Who invited her? There was supposed to be somebody watching the door. She's not allowed to be with us. She's a prostitute. What are we going to do? Can't somebody get her out of here? <clears throat> it's an awkward moment. This is like Bill Gates showing up at an Apple convention. It's not good. This is like John Calvin showing up at a seminar on Arminianism. Most of you didn't get that, but to those of you that did, it's funny, right? Okay? I mean, all of a sudden, she walks into the room of all people. You got to admire the courage of this woman. Man, she knew she was not going to be welcomed, but she came anyway. I, I just picture her standing outside the door trying to work up her nerve. I wonder what they're going to do. I wonder if they're going to throw me back out. 
I wonder what, what Jesus is going to do, this rabbi that I've heard so much about. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. There so many obstacles that could have kept her from seeking out Jesus, but she didn't allow any of them to get the best of her. Let's just note a couple of them in your outline. The sinful woman didn't allow her reputation to get the best of her. It's amazing. We're never told her name. The only introduction we get to her uh, about her is her reputation. Before her identity is ever established, her reputation precedes her. Everybody in the room knew who that woman was. She was the one that everybody knew. She, she was the stained one. She's the marginalized one. She's the one that everybody chirps about behind her back. She's the one that's been shunned. And now all of a sudden, she showed up at dinner. Her uncovered hair is a tip as to her profession. Her gift is a tip-off to her profession. There's no way anybody could know, but according to this scripture, if you know the culture, she was a prostitute. She was one of the marginalized, one of the ones that just didn't fit anywhere. She had a reputation. You know, reputation's a weird thing, isn't it? It can take 25 years to build one and about five minutes to ruin one. Some of us earn our reputation. For others of us, it's created for us. I remember the very first time I met a friend of mine. His name's Mark Driscoll. He pastors a church down in Seattle. Mark's a, a little famous. He's fairly outspoken, and his reputation had preceded itself to me. I'd heard that Mark was angry, brash, outspoken, and sometimes rude, and I was a little freaked out the day he called me up and invited me out for coffee. I met him in Seattle, and we kind of circled each other in a coffee shop, kind of looking at each other, and we finally sat down, and this is how the conversation went. He said, and I quote, so, I've heard some crap about your church. I said, really? I've heard some crap about your church. He said, what did you hear about our church? He goes, I heard you guys don't preach from the Bible that you give out water bottles. I said, well, you got the water bottle part right. He goes, what have you heard about my church? I said, I've heard you guys are angry and drunk all the time. He kind of smiled at me and said, well, not all the time. <laughs> we both started laughing and this really cool friendship began. And you know what I found out? I found out that Mark's reputation and Mark's reality are not the same thing. I don't think I've ever met a guy that loves Jesus as much as he does. And that friendship has bonded us together for several years now. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been judged by somebody? Have you, have you ever been cast in a particular light by people who didn't even have a clue who you were? Then you may know exactly how the woman felt that day when she stumbled into the dinner party. She knew she was not going to be welcomed at the dinner, but more than the shame of her past, the reputation of Jesus drew her because his reputation was one of deliverance. It was one of forgiveness. It was one of love. Secondly, the sinful woman didn't allow a social stigma to get the best of her. No way of positively determining it, but culturally it appears that she was a prostitute. Needless to say, the environment where Jesus was meeting was not open and welcoming to her. I mean, she walked in the door and she met religious elitism right face to face. I mean, here was the bottom line about the story. Prostitutes didn't show up at the home of a local religious leader and make a spectacle of themselves by crying all over the guest of honor. You just didn't do that. 
She was not welcomed by those around Jesus, but she had this hope that somehow Jesus would look beyond her reputation and the stigma that seemed to follow her everywhere she went. She was just hoping that he could see her heart. Thirdly, the sinful woman didn't allow an inappropriate gift to get the best of her. Nothing inappropriate about perfume unless you use it as a tool of your trade to seduce. Everybody in the room knew the origin and the use of that perfume, and I'm thinking they were thinking very, very bad stuff when it was being poured over the feet of Jesus. Here's what's important about her gift. It probably was inappropriate at some level, but here's what else we need to know about it. It was probably the most valuable thing she had. So she brings this trophy of her own sinful lifestyle, and she brings it to Jesus in a moment of confession and honor and hope because it's all she had. Finally, the sinful woman didn't allow the judgment of other people to get the best of her. She knew what the reaction was going to be when she walked in. She knew people were going to sneer. She knew she was running the risk of rejection. She could have gotten to the front door and had somebody say, oh, not so fast, lady. Not your kind. Out she goes. But the fear of judgment was completely overshadowed by the hope of forgiveness. I mean, I just love the picture of her standing with her back against the wall. Because if you've ever been forgiven, you know what it means to stand there with your back against the wall feeling embarrassed. She comes and she cries and people are freaked out just by the fact that she's there. She soaks the feet of Jesus with the tears of her shame and repentance. Her broken heart and her broken past just spills out the top of her eyes and washes the feet of the one man that she dreams can set her free. Even though everybody's freaked out, she gets down on her hands and knees and she undoes her hair. And don't you think that would be somewhat humiliating? She unwraps her hair and she uses them like a dish rag to wipe away the tears that have spilled over top of his feet. I mean, you want to talk about extravagant love. You want to talk about extravagant humility. You want to talk about a person who doesn't give a rip about what anybody else thinks in that room that day. She could have let everything get the best of her and cheat her out of an opportunity to meet Jesus, but she did not let the obstacles get the best of her. What kind of obstacles get the best of us? What keeps us from coming to Jesus? Oh, I don't want to follow Jesus that way. People might think I'm a religious freak. They might. Oh, I, don't, I don't want to get involved in that kind of stuff, man. People just, that, that's for Bible thumpers. Thump, 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 thump. I mean, so many of us, we just get stuck. So for some of us, it's the stigma that comes with being a follower of Jesus. For some of us, it's our past, believing that somehow Jesus can forgive everybody else, but he just can't cover my stuff because my stuff's too bad. I love this woman because she's so much like us. Jesus can feel the tension in the room. The spotlight is on him and her. I mean, Simon the Pharisee, the host, he's kind of hanging out in the edges just a little bit. I'm sure Jesus in that moment knows the scorn that's flowing through the minds of the religious people. I love the little part in here because the Bible says that Simon the Pharisee, he says something to himself. 
If you read the original language, you could almost get to the point where he thinks it inside of his head and then Jesus speaks to him. Worst case scenario, he just mutters it under his breath. Okay? My wife has an eye impairment. She does not have an ear impairment. We have a rule in our family. You don't say anything under your breath because she can hear it like this. Simon says something to himself. This guy over here was really a prophet. He'd know what kind of a woman's touching him. And Jesus goes, uh, excuse me, Simon. <laughs> Can you imagine how hard he swallowed when that came out of Jesus' mouth? The Bible goes on, and this is what it says it happens. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed a money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, I want you to notice something right here. Jesus didn't allow righteous anger to get the best of him. I mean, Jesus has this built-in justice system inside of him that doesn't allow people to get taken advantage of. You watch it all the way through Scripture. Every time the Pharisees were dragging somebody in and judging them, Jesus was the one to stand up and say, just you slow down. Before you start judging anybody, let's just talk about the stuff that's going on inside of you. And Jesus knows this. The woman had been treated poorly Jesus knows the scorecards that are going in the minds of the dinner guests. And he knows their critical, super spiritual thoughts. And I'm sure there was a righteous anger that rose up inside of him just saying, Oh, I know your stuff. You religious, uppity, super spiritual punk. But that's not what happened. Even though Jesus knew all of the contrasts that were coming. You see, Jesus knew something about the Pharisee. The only reason you would invite a visiting rabbi into your house was so that it made you look good. That was the reason for the invitation. Jesus knows this man is unbelievably proud that he's been looking down his nose at the woman ever since she arrived. Jesus knew that the woman was Simon's contrast. He was proud. She was humble. And in that moment, Jesus had lots of options available to them. I mean, he could have just said, hey, Simon, let me list off a few things that you're thinking right now in the dark recesses of your heart. He could have embarrassed him. He could have flipped the tables over. He could have cleaned the room completely. But instead he says, I have a story for you. A story about two people who owed a debt. Not one person. Two people who owed a debt. A story about two people who couldn't afford to pay the debt back. Not one person. Two people. The point of the story hits the religious Pharisee right between the eyes. See, as Jesus begins to unpack the story, he's, he would have been the guy that would have gone, oh yeah, I'm the 50 denarii guy. I don't know the 500. That guy's got a big fat extra zero. What a zero he must be. Not me. I only owe 50. Five zero. No big deal. I'm one of the good people. I do what I'm told. I keep the law. I'm one of the good guys. 
Simon would have been soaked in a spirit of religion that believed as much as he needed just a little teeny bit of forgiveness that that woman in the middle of the room, boy, she needed a whole boatload. I'll, this guy just cracks me up. The Pharisee wants to have a sin competition. That's the heart of religion. Religion says God does keep score, and if you got a low score, you get to be in the club. But if you're like her, and you've got a high score, then you don't get to play with the nice people. No, you're disqualified. You're over there with all the people with all the extra zeros behind the debt that they owe. This is a great story because Jesus teaches the truth that sin and forgiveness are not a matter of volume. They're a matter of grace. It's true. She had a bad reputation. She desperately needed to be forgiven because she had a lot that needed to be forgiven. Here was Simon's mistake. He forgot that he needed to be forgiven too. He went all uppity. With the religious group swallowing hard, Jesus suddenly turns his focus once again. Here's the last six verses. Here's what happens. The Bible says, then he turned to the woman and and said to Simon. Don't you love that? So he looks at her, but talks to him. Gulp. Do you see this woman? I came into your house and You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who's been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to to, to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon missed it. Jesus just has to reel it all back in again. He just lays it out for him. Simon, you missed it. This woman had a huge debt. She's got a past, a reputation, an identity. She came out of her need. She came looking for grace. And that's exactly what she's going to get. You came here out of a need to build your reputation. She got stuck outside of the door. You're so proud. You just bulled your way inside of here. But you came here out of a need to build your reputation. You could have been extravagant in your love, but keeping up appearances was more important to you than humbling yourself. So Simon, she gets what you both need. I mean, I understand the Pharisee in this story. Let's not be guilty of the very thing that he's guilty of against him. I mean, I understand the Pharisee in the story because I've had these thoughts. It sounds kind of like this. Well, at least I never did that. You ever said that? Well, at least I never did that. At least I'm not a murderer. Even though Jesus says, if you think it in your mind, you're guilty. 
At least I've never committed adultery, even though Jesus says if you've even had one lustful thought, you're guilty of the same sin. I mean, we just love. There's something in us that loves to elevate ourselves, and in doing so, we are just like Simon. I'm reading this story this week, and this is what I can hear Jesus saying. Hey, Grant, I got a story for you too. Reverend, pastor, it's not about volume. It's about need. And you need God's forgiveness as much as anybody. Here's the contrast for all of us. We all owe a debt. And it doesn't matter if it's 50 or 500. It's still a debt and none of us can pay. And that's where Jesus steps in. That's where Jesus steps in and says whether it's 50 or 500, it doesn't matter. You need a savior and that's who Jesus would be. I mean, I'm so glad the story doesn't end right here in this particular moment. In those last couple of sentences, there's so much. We've talked about how how the woman didn't allow her fears to get the best of her. Instead, she comes asking for forgiveness, and this is what happens. If you don't get anything else, please take this with you. Jesus allowed the extravagant love of the woman to get the best of his grace. She gets the best of him. Because instead of judgment, she gets grace. She deserves punishment, and she knows it. That's why she's plastered against the wall, bawling her eyes out. But instead, she gets grace. Jesus does something else. Jesus allowed the sin of the woman to get the best of his mercy. I mean, my favorite part of the story is the undoing of her reputation. At the beginning, we don't even get to know her first name. She's just that sinful woman. But at the end, with the simple words, your sins are forgiven, Jesus picks off the label that's been attached to her for her whole life. You know what's heartbreaking about the story? The Pharisee ends the story with the same label he started it with. Self-righteous. She comes in sinner and leaves forgiven and set free. I guess the question for all of us today here in Bellingham and in Ferndale is will you allow the forgiveness of Jesus to get the best of you? What will keep you from crossing the threshold and making the decision to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, because whether you owe 50 or 500, you still have a debt just like I do. Will you allow the forgiveness of Jesus to get the best of you? I had an interesting scenario happen to me this past week. I was was trying to order some books. I should have left it to my assistant, Diane, who gets this stuff done so easily, but I I just wanted to order some books. I wanted to order 10 of them. They were about 20 bucks a piece. And so I did the whole internet thing. I researched them. I reviewed the order. I was double checking it. You know how you do that whole thing? Just making sure I got everything in the right thing so I don't click the wrong thing. And then I hit submit. 
Has anyone else ever had that scenario happen where, where you're just kind of scanning at the last second before the screen flips and you suddenly, in horror, realize that you put something in the wrong blank? The last thing that I saw in the amount total was not 10, it was 1,000. I freaked out because I'm thinking 20 times a thousand. How am I going to explain that on my? I mean, the budget just got blown in one week with books, thousands of books that nobody else wants except for me. I am freaking out. So what do I do? It's like, contact us, contact us. I really want to contact you. I do. And I find the drop thing and I'm dialing the number as fast as I can. Misdialed it like three times. You know, and you finally get just, you know, welcome to Christian Book Distributed. Ah, you're on hold. I can't be on hold right now. You know, listening to elevator music while I'm hyperventilating. <laughs> listening to a voice say, your call will be re or, you know, answered in the order it was received. Your approximate wait time is 25 minutes. I'm like, I'm just hanging on the other end, thinking, how am I going to undo this $20,000 book debt? This is not good. All of a sudden, the phone picks up on the other end. Hello, this is Dennis. Can I help you? I'm like, yes, Dennis, you can help me. I'm ordering books online. I want to enter 10. I think I put in 1,000. I don't need 1,000. That would be $20,000. I don't have $20,000. This is not good. Can you help me? Dennis sounded kind of like Hurley off of Lost. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, if you watch the show, he's just like, what? Dude. <laughs> don't dude me. Help me, right? couple of minutes clicking on the other end click 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 also like okay dude it's gone I'm like what it's gone like wiped out like it's all good man <laughs> you know he told me to chill <laughs> because it was gone I don't know what he did on the other end but it's just gone I've not reordered the books. I'm not going to. <laughs> Scared me. Scared me. I'll tell you something. Dennis and I will be bonded forever. <laughs> because he took a really big debt and just made it go away. Jesus and this woman will be bonded forever because he took a really, really big debt and he made it go away. Whether you're like her or like him or like me, we all have a really, really, really big debt. Jesus made it go away. And that means we can go in peace. Will you allow the grace and forgiveness of Jesus 
get the best of you. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes with me. We're just going to have a moment. Because you see, we we all have a moment when it's our back against the wall and, and we feel like we're out of place and we don't belong. Because we've all got a debt of sin. And Jesus says that if you'll bring me your sin, if you'll ask me to forgive you, I will. I'll make it go away as far as the east is from the west. And I'll give you a new reputation and you won't face that stigma again because you'll be forgiven. Here in Bellingham and in Ferndale, everyone has their head bowed and their eyes closed. Coming to Jesus is as simple as praying a prayer of faith in your heart that says, Jesus, please forgive me. I've ruined my life. I'm covered in sin. But you said that if I came to you, that you'd wash me white as snow. And so I believe you can do that. And so I'm going to ask you to forgive me. Wash me white as snow and set me free. So if you're here today at Bellingham or at Ferndale and you understand this woman because you're there right now, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me in your heart. A simple prayer that says, Dear Jesus, I don't deserve it, but please forgive me. I've got a bad reputation, but you wash me white as snow. I don't belong. But you said you'd adopt me. So I ask for your forgiveness, for your cleansing, for your acceptance, for your love, because you're my only hope. If you prayed that simple prayer, nobody's looking around, nobody's thinking about anything except themselves. If you prayed that prayer tonight, you have been forgiven. If you prayed that prayer today, you have been forgiven and set free. Jesus has the same grace for you that he did for the woman. And I'd never do anything to embarrass you, but if you made that decision today, I'd love to pray for you this week. If you prayed the prayer, would you just slip your hand up in the air? Nobody's looking around. Just, just stick it straight up in the air so I can see it. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and all of you over here. God bless you, young lady. God bless you in the back. God bless you. God bless those of you at Ferndale. God bless you, young man. God bless you, too. Jesus, would you touch these who've stretched a hand just like the woman cried, washed your feet with her tears. I thank you that you're reaching to them right now, washing away sin, 
washing away a reputation, making them new and clean. God, thank you that we can give ourselves away to Jesus today. Thank you that the forgiveness that was offered to this woman is offered to us. Thank you that we can know the same words. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We receive that in your precious and holy name. Amen.